Welcome to Raiders on the Record, the podcast featuring Hastings High School Athletics. I'm Athletic Director Trent Hansen. My colleague Tim Hanneberg and I work together to bring you the stories of Raiders sports. We are thrilled to share conversations with the athletes, coaches, and alumni that represent Raider Nation. Check back weekly and be sure to share this podcast with your friends in the Raiders Network. Today's episode features Jeff Corkish. Jeff is the chair of the Health and Human Performance Department at Hastings High School. Throughout his 22-year educational career, he has taught nearly every course offered, including Health 9, Health 10, Spark, and every kind of elective class. He led a departmental redesign that shifted the focus to lifelong fitness and differentiated options by interest and gender, all of which have resulted in significantly higher enrollment, retention, and results in HP courses over the last decade. Jeff was a college hockey player, college graduate assistant coach, and for 17 years, he was the head girls hockey coach at Hastings High School. He is an honored member of the Minnesota Girls Hockey Coaching Hall of Fame. Jeff and his spouse, Laura, are proud parents of three children who are all active in youth sports as well. We hope you enjoy this conversation with our favorite Canadian, Cork. There we go. And so uh, as much as people would love to see the video of the two of us, we will not be using the video. I'll just extract the audio out of this and then, uh, you know, we'll go over there. <laughs> Tell us about uh, what was your hometown and what high school did you graduate from and when? I grew up in a small town called Bavota, Saskatchewan. The town was about, uh, it was probably 600 people when I was there. So sort of very tiny, graduated a class of 20 kids. So I knew every single one. We went to every class together. So me and Martine and Rebecca and all the others were in every single class. I'm sure they got sick of me. And that was at uh, uh, Oda High School. We were the Wildcats. So uh, that was my, it was a great, it was the best thing ever. Just growing up with those people. It's still to this day, my brothers, my sisters, I mean, they're, uh, if I call them and I need them, I know they'd be there for me. And I, I wouldn't have changed that for anything. So it's, I, I'm in a big school now and I really like the little things that you can get uh, in a big school and lots of options and different people to meet. This is really cool, but you can't replace people, you know, so well, like the ones I grew up with. Fantastic. Um, what was your earliest memory or what is your earliest memory of sports as a youngster? Do you remember watching it or playing it or just kind of how were you introduced to the world of sports? Well, in Canada, you either play hockey or you get shipped out of the country. So at least back then, my first memory was uh, probably a memory of a memory, right? And uh, But I remember being at the arena, and I remember my, co- my toes being so incredibly cold. So our hockey arenas up there were not insulated. They were just a sheet metal on the outside. So when the wintertime came, boy, it was cold. So you get in between the periods, and you start skating, and your dad and mom's got to take your skates off and rub your toes and put them back in the, and every, I remember so many kids crying, but we never left. We loved it so much. We couldn't wait for our toes to stop tingling. We'd get back out, skate again. And to me, that was what it was all about. It wasn't like a hockey game or a practice or a competition. It was just skating. It was just skating and shooting pucks around. Uh, that was my favorite thing in the world to do when I was little. And then uh, we played what called road hockey, uh, street hockey here, I think is what they call it in the U.S., but uh, we called it road hockey. I remember playing that since I was just a little fart in the street, and we'd use snow chunks. We'd take out the big chunk of snow out of the snow bank, make sure it was like an igloo square, 
and that was our posts for the street. And then the, uh, the cars would come down and they always drove around the posts and uh, they're all good about it because they knew how the, they all played as well. So they didn't want to wreck the, the game. So was, respect uh, the game, respect the game, respect the game. So, so yeah, amazing <laughs> memories. Those are, I just love that part of my childhood. Awesome. What was your first job? Either as a kid or an adult, what was your first job? What were you doing? <laughs> my very first job was working at the local grocery store, the IGA for Sharon, uh, Sharon Lemontine. And she was a tough boss and exactly what I needed in my life. She taught me so much about details. She taught me about consistency. She taught me about putting in a day's work minute after minute. I mean, she was tough. Not many kids could work for her because uh, she was demanding. But she ran an incredible business and did a really, really good job. She was incredible for our community. Huge piece of our community. Uh, without a good store in a small town like that, you know, you, you lack a lot. So she did an amazing job. And I loved working for her for three years. And to this day, I, I, I like seeing her every time I see her when I get back home and She's all retired and whatnot. But that was my best job. Yep, for sure. And my first job. Love it. Tell us just about three of your favorite things. And it could be anything, like a favorite movie, a favorite musician, a favorite time of the year, a favorite trip you've been on, just three of Jeff Corkish's favorite things. Yeah, outside of family and everything, the obvious, my three favorite fun things that you would want to talk about is uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, by far my favorite thing. Um, probably... Uh, going to concerts, love going to music uh, concerts and shows and things like that. I think those are phenomenal. And then uh, I love the Winter Olympics. Absolutely can't wait for the, the men's hockey and women's hockey tournament in the, in the Olympics. It's every four years. It is just something I, I crave. And I just, I don't, it's part of the, the culture where I come from. Love it. Okay, final one. Uh, what three words, if you could only use three, would best describe you? Uh, I think empathetic. I, I just, I, I care about people. I think it's naturally it comes from my parents. I think it comes from where I, I grew up. Um, we've always been taught to take care of other people first. My parents always volunteered and whatnot. Um, I think hardworking and I think uh, having grit. Those are the three things that I think have gotten me pretty much everything in my life that me have meaning. Love it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's pivot. And we'll start talking a little bit about like your current role, you know, your occupation, uh, how you serve the Hastings High School community, you know, with who and, and in what function. And then we'll get into, you know, some of your influences and kind of how you've arrived here. But just kind of by way of professional introduction, what is your current role? You know, what the heck do you do uh, for the Hastings Raiders? Well, right now I'm currently in my 22nd year of teaching in the Human Performance and Health Department. And I started with this guy named Trent Hansen. Worked with him for 10 years and was a teacher there where we kind of redesigned, had this big idea of redesigning our program. So we went from being a FIAD health teacher that currently, that would, what most people would think about, into a more of a fitness model of, of uh, lifetime fitness for kids, something that would last a lifetime for them and something that would help them grow, be independent, take care of themselves, have good habits. Um, you know, great self-esteem, high amount of confidence, walk tall, chin tall and up and out. And that's kind of the role is, is trying to create an environment and a culture where kids can find more about themselves and the kids can, uh, you know, there, there's so many questions and anxiety and stress in their lives. And they're so unsure of themselves at so many different points. 
that we want to push them through and get them that same grit that I talked about that I, I believe helps me so much. And my role is, is so much more than just a curriculum based textbook. It's, it's about believing in yourself. It's about overcoming obstacles. It's about, it's about uh, uh, persevering through very tough days. And my job is make kids uncomfortable in a lot of ways, you know, make them uncomfortable and then fight and find a way through that. And then they kind of take a deep breath and go, I can, I can, I can. And if I'm a little piece of that and other teachers and parents and people in the community are doing the same thing, those kids will come out on top and they'll be great community leaders. So I think I'm just, I'm just a piece of the puzzle to help a kid be a well-balanced, um, positive fixture in our communities. Well, your passion for the role clearly came out even just in that, that one singular answer, but you talk about being a piece of the puzzle. Um, T tell us a little bit more about how the other pieces then just kind of a, a little profile of like, okay, what is the human performance department, right? For someone who may need an introduction to it and kind of, how does it, how does it flow? Right. Are there required courses? There's elective courses. There's, a, you know, some different pathways that students can pursue. Uh, you know, you don't need to give us the entire course guide, of course, but just walk us through kind of philosophically how it fits, how it's built and what, what a student will experience in, in HP and health here. Absolutely. For starting with health first, is we have uh, two semesters that kids have to do two full semesters that are required to graduate from Hastings High School, and I think that's really really rare in our pro in our province in our state, and um, most schools do not require that to happen. So I love the fact that our administration sees it so important that our kids have to go through those two semesters, and we get to cover so many things that are so difficult for kids to, to um, just adjust to it as a teenager. Ninth and 10th grade are really difficult times in their lives and they have a lot of anxiety and stress, like I said. And we get the opportunity to bring in counselors and talk about mental health. We talk about uh, a lot of physical health, emotional health, and, and just help them understand what they're actually going through. It's really directed towards them so they get just clarity and they get comfort and they understand that where they are is exactly where they're supposed to be. So we give a lot of information on the drugs and all that type of stuff, the curricular stuff too, which is great, but uh, more so is, is we try to get them uh, focused and dialed in so they understand where their future is going and to take care of what's going on right now. It's their first year ninth grade that their GPA matters and their, their travels towards skill training or a college or something matter. So we want to make sure they start out well. So health has a lot to do with ninth grade success um, we also do a lot with the English department in sense of writing. So we compliment them and work with them for the kids. So they're getting extra work through us and with, uh, with uh, the coordinating with the English department. We work with the counselors. We work with um, uh, different organizations in town, Community 360. We work with the police officers, Minnesota Student Survey. So all that work is done to stay focused on what kids in Hastings need right now. Uh, we definitely don't teach out of a textbook that's nationally developed. It's not something where it's just a large, broad idea. We are working on ideas that work for our kids in this community um, and will help them through their career in the future. Um, the, the human performance side is very unique. We've traveled to about 30 different schools in the last 10, 12 years to figure out what to do and how to do it and how to improve it and what other people are doing and, and what we're doing. So one is we have got an incredible, I even said it this morning to one of my students is I don't know if there's a high school in the country that has the equipment that we have here in our, in our facility that helps for kids understand um, how to take care of them fitness wise. They'll be to walk into any facility in the country and go, I've seen it, I've done it, I'm confident with it and I can use it. And that makes sure that they don't have social physique anxiety and avoid 
the entire building and just go home and sit on the couch. They're going to be confident. So we're lucky to have the facility to start with. Secondly, we have the administration support to require two requirements of two semesters of, of human performance, ninth and 10th grade as well. They tie into health. We talk about heart health and, and things like that. But the biggest thing that we did is we designed it when you were here, Mr. Hanson, we talked about this, is we wanted ninth grade semester to run right into the 10th grade semester. So we, we, we do ninth grade FIAD human performance in the spring. And then we have Raiders Express in the summer for kids who want to join that as well as they fit. And then they come back in in 10th grade in this fall semester. And by the time they're done all that, they have a 365-day program. And the goal is that when they're finished that, they have a habit that is so strong and built into their daily routine that they, when, they, when they're done, they will notice there's something missing. And they want to keep it in their, in their life. So then we want to support that that itch that they, they're missing something. So now we have opportunities to take electives, which are Spark, which is a high-end class that starts early in the morning, very unique class where it's two to three times a week. They work out for an hour, 15 minutes. They get to eat breakfast. They get to shower. They get the whole thing, a real regular workout. So they're not just slammed. And that allows them to get their, their workouts in. So if they're athletes, they, they, don't, they can avoid the team workouts by doing spark. And if they're in marching band or anything else, it's going to help them get strong for what they want to do. And there's a lot of kids that are in there from the arts as well. Um, the other electives that we have, that's fit different molds of kids, is we have fit, which is really designed for the girls. It's at the end of the day, they can just get to class. And then when done, they go home. They don't have to worry about getting their hair ready and everything else. So really designed about them, right? And the kids kind of designed that. And uh, through surveys and stuff, that's what they wanted very popular class. And then we also have lift class, which is through the middle of the day, kids who just need a break in the middle of the day. So we have a class at the start, we have a class at the end, we have classes in the middle. So it all fits needs what the kids have. And, and uh, that way, kids are getting a little balance, they're getting away from the textbooks a little bit, and they're getting motivated. And we all know what endorphins and those good chemicals are in our brain and how they make us feel and how they motivate us to do well. And we just believe that what we have is just an incredible option for kids to be active every semester for four straight years. And I have yet to find a school that offers that. So tell us a little bit more about your own background, you know, kind of your own autobiography about how you've arrived at this particular place, right? Like what were the trainings or what were the experiences or what were some of those decisions that you made along the way to choose this particular path in your own life, right? You certainly have a lot of skills and passion, but you, you could have and can do a lot of different things, right? Why high school human performance, right? That's kind of part one of a two-part question. Yep. Part two is why here, right? You could also have this particular vocation and work with high school kids, but you can do that in a lot of different places. So walk us through your own connection to it and then why this district in particular. Yeah, I think um, it, it's like anything in life. You don't know exactly know where you're going to end up. You just kind of put one foot in front of the other, and then opportunities go. And if you have what I believe is good character and good integrity and values, uh, doors open for you. And I can't say I always had great integrity and character. I think all young men go through their own um, gamut of challenges to get to where they want to be. And if you truly want to be a good person, I think you'll get there. I think you'll work towards that and you'll be able to fail and, and pick yourself up and be okay with that. And I think I've gone through a lot of that myself. Um, one of the things that made me more uh, fall into this more than anything, and it came a little bit later, uh, was when I was in grad school as teacher at the University of North Dakota, getting my master's degree up there. I spent two years teaching undergrad classes. And part of my 
program up there was to write a thesis. So I had to figure out a thesis and I wasn't a great writer to start with, but um, this process sure helped. But the, the uh, topic that I went with was something that was very close to my heart. Um, I played sports my whole life. You know, I played college athletics and, and uh, I was very lucky to be athletic enough to be able to get some of those opportunities. But one of the things that I always had um, in the back of my mind and always felt that I wanted, but I just never found a way to go do was to get bigger and stronger. I was always a small kid. I was a really tiny kid, actually. Even when I was 17 playing college hockey, I was uh, I, I never played the game at more than 140 pounds. And that always kind of bothered me, right? It was always in my head. I'm a pretty confident kid for a lot of things. But when it came to my image, I was never really too uh, solid. And I always wanted to lift weights. I always wanted to get bigger, but I was always so dang shy to do it. So I started researching that topic and came up with a topic called social physique anxiety and reasons for exercise behavior. So as I researched it, I went through about 72 different articles and researched, and it was like it was written for me. It was all about me. So my passion, that came quickly. And so I, I wrote my thesis and I fell in love with it. I started writing some uh, um, just manuscripts on uh, nutrition, started learning how to eat better and kind of kept them. I just did it myself and left them. I never really shared them with anybody. Um, I used those for the curriculum that I taught in health. And then I started to move on. Um, so about 10 years went along and, you know, I taught with you and we did our traditional physical education stuff. And we started talking about it's got to be better than this. We have to do something more than this. So um, we designed this program and that's kind of where it started from was that first thesis assignment. And and then we just morphed into what we have today. But in order to get where we came, there's a lot of work that went into that place. You know, we uh, we had to go and visit with many schools to see what they did. We had to meet with many instructors. We had to get trained by many different people. We had to get trained in Olympic lifting. We learned how to use kettlebells. We I mean, we went through so many different training um, um, days. It was it was uh, so fun, but it was a lot of work. But it, but at the same time, very very interesting, right? We've made huge connections with the University of Minnesota, with Cal Dietz, with uh, Ty Stenzel over in River Falls, and our sorry at, at St. Thomas, you know, and Carmen Pot at River Falls, and those are guys that help guide us and get us in the right direction. Know what we're doing is right because we don't want to just be YouTube trainers. We want to really do a good job and know, understand exercise physiology and exercise science. Now I have a background, and that was part of my master's program, but far from hands-on. I can actually do it, right? You have to get involved. So so I, I continually read. I'm always very interested in how the body works neurologically and how how things are developed, how, to, how much rest is important, how much sleep involves in our life and stress and things like that. So um, it's just a huge passion. I'm very happy to be able to share it. Um, in my, For me, it's every day. It's like you get down the dump sometimes or you kind of get monot um, uh, it's monotonous. But then you have a kid come in and tell you, hey, you know, Cork, uh, just want to tell you I'm, I'm down 45 pounds and you're like what and you know quiet and humble all about it but they're just so proud to come back and tell you about six months later and, and you had a little piece of the puzzle um in that process and that's why you do it you know it's just every day you come back and it's the hardest thing about teaching right is you teach these kids and you never see them again after they graduate for the most part. They're, they're off in their own world. And you it's almost like having a funeral sometimes at the end of graduation. Everybody else is so darn pumped up. But as teachers, we know that we're never going to see those kids again. We put so much passion to those guys. And it's, it's really a tough day for teachers as much as it's a happy day for everybody else. It's not so much for us. Um, but the moments when we are with those students and you get those stories and sometimes they come back after high school and they give you those stories about how well they're doing and what they're doing in life. And um, that's why you do what we do and why I love coming back to my job and, and whatnot and, and keep working at getting better at it, too.
Thank is you. there any particular <clears throat> event, any particular time of the year, any particular, you know, activity or person that brings out your best, right? I mean, you're an invested, passionate guy um, that, you know, really steps into every day, but we're all inspired differently, you know, kind of what inspires you, what kind of keeps you motivated and, and, and brings out the best in you? Uh, with, without a doubt, two, two things. My mom, for sure. She motivates the tar out of me um, simply because she's the most amazing human being I've ever met. I'm just lucky. I'm adopted to start with, right? So having her be my mom and then watching how she lives her life every day is beyond and more than I need to be motivated. So she volunteers at the 78 years old, more than most people volunteer their entire life. She gives everything she has to other people. She, she works endlessly. She does the right thing every single day. You know, she's just the most perfect human being in so many ways. So every day when I do something wrong, I go, well, you know, in the back of your head, like a lot of people do is like, what would my mom think? So if you need to do something, you do it right. And I learned that from her and I learned it from my dad who passed away from cancer really when I was only 21. So he'd be the other reason. And I always think about what would my dad do right now? How, what would he think of me right now? And that just never leaves the back of my mind. Every single day, I think of those two people with whatever I do. Um, and if I need something else, it's always my three kids and my wife. It's just like, I have to make those people proud. And, and there's only one way to do things in my life. And to me, it, and that's the right way. And if you do things the right way, good things will happen. Not everybody's going to agree with you. They're not always going to see, see what you do is the right thing. But in my mind, in my heart, if I do things that I believe are the right things, then I can live with myself when I go to bed. Um, and, you know, do I have those days? Everybody know I screw up all the time like people do, too. I say the wrong things. I do the wrong things. Emotion causes things to happen the wrong way. But you can correct those and fix those and move up past them. But that's the stuff that helps you become a better human being. And if I, if, I, if I don't get to experience some of those things to, to make mistakes, I won't become better and I won't have more experiences to share with my kids and my students and things like that. So I think it's really important that when you have passion, you can walk on the edge a little bit. And when you walk on that edge, it allows you great experiences, but it also allows you and positive ones, but it also allows you to make mistakes that are going to help other people down the line. And they're chinks in your armor, you know, like sometimes they're hard to do because people look at you, but you have to have thick skin and know I need to go through those things to be better for people around me later in life. Uh, so I, I look at that sometimes as something that's very important to me. I think you're clearly articulating yourself as someone who has an evolved sense of self, right? An awareness of kind of who you are and, and why you exist. And that's a process. That's not a light switch type thing that you can kind of flip on or off. You kind of develop into that. Tell us about your own um, improvement process then, right? As a professional uh, or a person, like how do you get better, right? There's a philosophy to that, but then there's also some tactical and practical things that you're probably doing. So what are those habits or what are those strategies or what are the things that you commit to, to consistently be the best that you can be uh, as an educator or a dad or just as a person? Yeah, I think number one is just self-valuation. Um, I'm always thinking about what I did, how I said something, um, my actions, my, and then just the choices I could have made, the different choices and decisions I could have made in, in that in that moment. And uh, I try to take uh, those every day. You try to think about that. I mean, what what do I do? To, I really take it seriously to get better and, and improved. Simply, I think the most motivating reason is my kids. I want them to be so proud of me. Um, at the end of this whole thing, when they, when they talk about dad, when I'm not here anymore, they're going to have nothing but pride and respect, and they're going to be great human beings, better human beings than what I am. 
in the end. Um, but that's, that takes a lot of work. I mean, every day you wake up, you want to have to be the best. You, you, you make a decision to, to be that person. You don't always have the energy every day to do it, but there's a lot of times when uh, you don't want to, but then all you got to think about is those three kids. And then you're back on your horse and you're doing it again. Right. So one of the challenges I can share from, for me is that I've always been a very, very competitive person. And then as a kid, um, I would battle so hard and my friends, I, I need to thank my buddies because I know when I grew up, I tore more t-shirts, Mikey D's t-shirt. I tore, I, I had to apologize to him all the time. And I, you know, I fought with Kevin husband in the parking or in the, you know, the, the playground, cause I was just so competitive. And part of that too, brings a little bit of a temper, you know, you're trying to, to, to harness an emotion. And as a young person, you know, as you get it. And even as a, as an adult, I had to understand what that emotion was. And there's so many games where hockey games, where you get on the refs or you get on kids or you get my own children. And that one emotion that I've always had to control is it's inside you and it's really difficult. That's who you are, but it's always been my challenge is to control my temper and that, that edge. Um, so every day I work towards that and to make sure that I'm, I'm a good example to my kids. And when not, I have to admit to them like, well, I'm, I'm human. This is an example of how I screwed up over and over again, I've done that. And, uh, but through the process, I'm becoming a better human being and I'm, it's never going to stop. And I don't think people that really have a lot of passion will ever stop trying to become the better person. Um, you know, and some people listen to this probably go, wow, you got a lot more room to grow than you think, buddy. Um, and maybe I do, but I'm, I'm working at it. And i and I say the reason my three kids, the audience to a lot of these podcasts is a sports driven audience, right? It's athletes and coaches and alumni and parents that are connected to sports in particular, but you also have your own personal connection and history with co-curricular athletics in particular, right? As a, as a youngster yourself, as a, as a high school athlete, a collegiate athlete. And then of course you can transfer that into all the coaching experiences that you have in multiple sports and multiple levels. So talk to us first, just about your own personal connection to like youth and high school sports, right? When you were growing up, what did you play? What did you try? Uh, what was it like? Just kind of give us a little bit of a flavor for what, what it was like kind of in that, you know, youth to, to high school type stages and, and how that led to your, your post-secondary opportunities in, in college. Yeah, I think the for me, back in Wawota, Saskatchewan, I say we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of incredible facilities and money, and it just wasn't that, it wasn't that time, right? Um, but we sure had a lot of opportunity to play. And we just came up with games. We came up with rules. We came in. We didn't have parents who were organizing structured games or anything. I'm not, I always say this. When I grew up, 90% of what I did athletically was with me and my buddies. 10% was guided by coaches. In today's world, it's like 10% is, you know, you do with your buddies and 90% is guided by coaches. And I sure wish the kids today could live back when we were kids because it was the most incredible time of just making up your own games and rules and dreaming that you're in the big Stanley Cup game or the Major League Baseball World Series or whatever. And, and I don't think kids get enough opportunity for that. But my my life was that. I was full of that. And so I got to play hockey a ton in the wintertime. But in Canada, we didn't have tons of money. The rinks weren't open all year round. So when the winter was gone and over, the rinks were gone until the next year. So I didn't play any summer hockey. Um, we stick handled in, in on the street playing road hockey. You know, we didn't practice the game. We played the game the whole time. So we'd have a tennis ball out in the street and we'd be at Mikey D's or in front of my place or in front of Patty Dubs. And, and we played and we got cones out and we just played and played for hours and hours and hours. 
And that's what we did. And um, so hockey was a huge piece. But the other great thing about my town, very athletic town, uh, dads were really athletic, totally into it. A lot of support from our community. Uh, we have baseball um, through and through. We had a ton of baseball in our town. We had three baseball teams, senior baseball teams in a town of 600 uh, people. So we had a ton of baseball and we were pretty well known around the different provinces, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, just because uh, we had so much success from such a small town. We'd host big tournaments. So I fell in love with the idea of that community being involved in sport. And everybody's kind of watching. And my uncle Ross standing behind the bench or behind the screen yelling at me and cheering me on. You know, just people like that that I'll never forget. They were standing and watching. You know, of course, my parents went to every game. And um, those things were incredible for me uh, in terms of the sports. The passion was really built from the people that I was around. But then in terms of what else I did, you know, we played – Badminton was a high school sport. Track and field was a high school sport. Um, I was in both of those, and I really enjoyed those a lot. Um, you could, so you could, you played volleyball a little bit. I played a couple years of volleyball, which is a men's sport in the fall. We didn't have enough people for football, but we had uh, uh, volleyball instead. So I played probably five or six different sports throughout my my career, my life. And then, of course, we had tennis courts. We played me, me and Mikey D played a lot of tennis. Uh, when we grew up and just enjoyed playing that. So we just played everything. We tried, we, we played everything, loved everything, did everything. And I think being well around like that just gave us just a, so much better awareness of our bodies and in, in space. So when it came time to choose a sport that we truly wanted to move on to, which was college hockey, um, I think I was prepared for that that way. Um, so that was kind of my experience growing up that way. And it's funny because I always played my whole way up until I got into high school. I played with all my buddies who some were really good and others were, were not good at all. Uh, but we were always on teams together. And it's funny how I think back to it because I never as a kid thought that that kid wasn't very good. He was my teammate and he was there and he deserved ice time. And, and nobody even suggested that I should get more ice than the other kid. Um, I, I, maybe I did. I don't even remember. I just remember being on a team with so many great kids who were my best buddies and those are my best memories of sport but um and then then after that I moved on I, I I left my hometown my junior and senior year to play a higher level of hockey just because we didn't have uh, anything close and at the time and so I moved out with three or four buddies and we would just drive to another town and play hockey in a Whitewood the town next door and it was a double a midget league and we won the state tournament one year and then the coach my coach knew the coach down in Minnesota and um he just called and asked if I wanted to come and play hockey in college, if I was interested. And that's kind of how it opened. And I, I came to, to do both. I was going to do baseball and hockey. And so I started with baseball as well. And then I just realized that uh, you had to stay four weeks longer in spring to play baseball. And I wouldn't be able to get to go back home to Canada for the summer. So I quit the baseball thing in college and, and went home and played baseball with all my buddies and adult amateur ball. And I uh, just continued to play and I, I played ball because I loved it. I played ball because I was with my friends. And I played ball till I was about 34 years old. And then uh, uh, the hockey thing continued through college. And I, I played two years of junior hockey in Canada. And um, not once did I do it because I wanted a scholarship. And we didn't Canada. We didn't even know what a scholarship was, to be honest with you, until my first uh, Christmas of my uh, first year of junior hockey. We started learning about University of Lake State. And uh, the Lakers and one of the goalies we had went out there the year before. And then that's the, that was our, my first introduction to what Division One was really about. And so I still never dreamed. It wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to play as much hockey as I could for as long as I could. And that was, that was my reasoning, right? And so for me, I just love sport. And that's 
I did a ton of it. I got a great opportunity to do it somewhat of a high level. I was never a, a great hockey player or athlete, but uh, uh, good enough to get some good opportunities in life that took me a long ways. So what's the thread to making the decision to then coach, right? You've got these experiences with sport as a developing youngster, right? As a youth, high school, collegiate. And then over here, you've got this evolving kind of um, passion and interest that you described so well earlier about the, the connection to essentially physical fitness, but yet all the other mental parts that come into that. But there's this, so there suddenly there becomes at some point you make this decision to pursue, you know, education, leadership, kids, at what point does the coaching part of it come into it? And what were your coaching opportunities and, and how maybe did that ultimately lead you to landing in this particular zip code and in Hastings, Minnesota? Yeah, I think, uh, again, like I said earlier, is that I just lived one foot in front of the other every day, you know, just kept going and not an idea of what I was going to do. It just kind of drove my mom nuts, but it, it, things just seemed to work out for me. And she's like, God, it doesn't matter what I do. I get lucky and just move on. And that's kind of how I lived. So I didn't really think too much about coaching. Um, Mr. Steenvelt was one of my teachers in high school and he was my favorite teacher. He was amazing. Had some really good teachers, but Mr. Steenvelt was the best teacher I've ever had. So positive. And he's the one that really made me think about becoming a teacher. Really, really enjoyed him. And, and so my idea was I was going to be a teacher if I didn't make the national hockey league. And that became apparent quite early with my size. I wasn't going to play in the NHL. So I, uh, figured I'll be a teacher then. So then once I started becoming a teacher and playing college hockey, I started to admire some of my college coaches. And then the, the desire to help people work with people as a teacher just kind of naturally flowed into the coaching world. And I started asking about what it's like to be a college hockey coach. So that was where I thought I was going to go and uh, avoid the teaching thing. I guess I want to be a college hockey coach. I applied to a couple of places, Mankato, got, you know, runner up and that, those kind of jobs. So it never really worked out for me as well. I'll go teach instead. And which was all great too. Um, and it really just kind of happened. It's got thrown in my lap because the first job I applied for was in Hastings. And it was a physical education, a physical education, health teaching job. And it also had the varsity girls hockey program involved. Um, at the time, there was no real boys coaching jobs. Those were pretty solid. And I thought, well, I'm not going to coach girls. And then I looked into it. I was like, well, what the heck? Why not? Let's do it. And uh, then it was the best decision ever. Coaching those girls for 17 years ended up being so priceless. So many incredible relationships. And I learned so much about girls in sport. And I'm so happy I did it because I have a little girl myself now who I can use all that experience to help mold and guide and help her friends and, and whatnot to try to do the right things. And it took years for me to understand what girls think like and how they were operate. And I probably still only got 50% of it, but uh, uh, overall that was kind of my path towards coaching. And I fell in love with it right away. And one of the reasons I fell in love with it was the guy I worked with is Steve Benson, who, you know, of course, and uh, just an amazing human being who, had tons of opportunity to tell me I was wrong in a lot of occasions, but just bit his tongue probably day after day because he allowed me to find my own way. He was so remarkable that way. And I probably just never told him that, but it, it, he had a huge reason uh, of, of why I fell in love with coaching. He made it really enjoyable. And then I got to meet two other guys, John Klimek and Josh Colvin, who just amazing people with incredible passion and incredible integrity and doing things the right way. And when you're around those types of guys, it makes one you you're coaching. It's just, you know, it's more about than just about sport. And that's when, you know, coaching for me became so much more than that uh, early on because of those guys. What was, or what is the most rewarding thing 
about being an educator. When I say educator, you can think about it, you know, as a teacher or as a coach or both. There's certainly a lot of integration there. But when you think of the most rewarding parts of it, what comes to mind? Well, I think right away, it all it, every single time somebody asks me about coaching and, and whatnot, one person comes to mind, and his name is Brad McEwen. He uh, he grew up in the same area I did, and he was my my junior hockey coach, and just an amazing coach, by far and away the best coach I've ever had. And I've had some really good coaches, but the way he treated me and the the confidence he instilled in me, and he did it in such a positive manner. Um, that just really was the the thing that drove me to be a great coach. I wanted to be like him. And I still to this day think about him a lot too. Like, what would he do? How would he treat people? You know, he's gone from coaching just a minor hockey. Now he's one of the biggest scouts in, in the NHL. He works for the, the Vegas Gold Knights. You know, he's so he just proved to me over and over again that how you treat people opens doors. How you work every day opens doors. And how he treated me and my buddies, it's, it's, it's so obvious to me why he ended up being a Hockey Canada's highest scout and how he's in the NHL. And he just proved to me that's what it's about. And so for me, um, it's that type of thing. I want to coach so I can make somebody feel the way he made me feel. And when they're 20, 30 years from now, that person now wants to make somebody else feel the way I made them feel. Is it's not about X's and O's. Coaching has nothing to do with that, and really, it's you know ten percent maybe. But it's about how you make people feel. And when people feel good, they'll go through a wall for you. When they feel good, they'll do anything for a teammate. And when they feel good, they learn more. They're neurologically connected, and they're they're developing. When they don't feel good, I don't think there's a whole lot that happens on any front. Um, I think the best coaches are the ones that know how to connect with emotions with kids and, and, and uh, get inside their spirit and develop passion. And, and that's how, to me, I was delivered those messages by, by Mr. McEwen and, and, you know, his other coaches as well, but he's definitely the driving force. Love hearing about those, those influences, you know, and the people uh, that have had such an impact on you and you've done a, a great job of, of naming a number of them and there's the people. And then there's also the moments when you think of maybe the most significant or influential moments uh, in your journey, what comes to mind? Kind of, it could be kind of a singular game or an experience with a particular kid or maybe one season in general, or maybe one class that you taught, or just when you think of some of those lightning rod moments or, or experience that, that, kind of, that kind of stick out above the rest over the last 20 years that really resonate with you, you know, what's one or two that might stick out that you want to share with us? Um, I think there's a few, but there's some that are really, really big. And the first one happened the very first year I coached here. And you'll remember this. It was uh, huge. We, we came into the year and, and that was my first year of coaching. And the girls are just, you know, a new program, basically three or four years in. We had some nice kids and really good kids. Didn't have an incredible amount of talent overall, but we had some girls that just absolutely bought in. And we were ranked, I believe it was eighth in the, in the section at the time. So we weren't favorites to do much of anything, but we came a long ways. And when, you know, I'm, I'm coaching like a total buffoon, you know, I'm coaching with just straight emotion. Like I came out of junior hockey, but I'm probably slamming sticks and yelling and screaming like my college coaches were and thinking that was going to work for girls at the time. And, and the funny thing is that year it, it, it did somehow, I don't know how it wouldn't work today, 
But those girls loved the passion that we brought as coaches so much and they bought in. They just wanted to be a part of something that was, I think, really to me, it was uh, girls wanted to be considered hockey players. They didn't want to be considered girls hockey players. They wanted to be considered hockey players. And I think they loved the fact that I treated them the way I was treated in college. And they just wanted to be pushed that hard. And they loved that. And they went through the wall for the team. And that one year, we we're such underdogs. We came in and upset South St. Paul, who's this great team and number one. And and we we beat, we upset them two to nothing in the sections. And we, we turned the hockey, girls hockey world upside down for a little while. And we almost beat Natalie Darwitz and her Egan team, who was huge as well. I mean, she's the, one of the greatest players of all time. And our kids, we worked all week. I still remember today we had Shorty Camp sitting in a red jersey on the ice, and she was, you know, shadowing uh, Darwitz all practice, every practice in a row. And we did everything we could to, to beat that team. And we lost two to one, I believe it was. And but but that season was amazing. I mean, that run at the end was amazing, and it really uh, it just. It connects to me because that success allowed us to go into the community and recruit kids and build a program. It was the culture that they developed and, and the kids did it. They bought into everything and they showed what girls are capable of doing. And, and even though with great, ama amazing talent at the time, because they were just, they haven't, they haven't even played hockey for more than a handful of years. Right. So to me, that was just a, such proof of what passion and hard work can get you. So that really drove me to, you know, recruit more, to work harder, get more people involved that loved it. They get girls that dreamed. Even today, I remember girls, they'll, they'll come and tell me that they started hockey because of Erica McKenzie when she was an eighth grader that year or because Rachel Reinhardt, because Lauren Cheswick or some of those kids that bought into that system back then. They're all a part of that in some way. And uh, without the, the passion of my assistant coaches and, and the support, you know, none of that would have happened. And so that year right there really, to me, drove the rest of my career. It just, they, it just showed me what it can be like and how great it can be. And you're always pushing you know, uh, for more and to, to do it again and again and again. So I think that was the number one thing for sure. You are in uh, the Girls Hockey Coaches Hall of Fame. You've coached middle school and high school. You've coached multiple sports. Uh, you, you've directly coached a lot of different youth teams that your own kids are in for coaches that are listening to this in particular, if you could leave them with some advice, some recommendations with all that you've been able to process along your own coaching journey, what advice would you give to coaches that are listening? Uh, man, I, I think the, the, the one thing I would probably say is this, is that you don't understand what you don't understand. And especially when you're a young coach, you think you have all the answers and you, and, and for good reason, not being a bad person about it, but you, you have confidence and you've learned the game. You have passion. You think, you know, a ton and you probably do, right. You, you probably know more than so many people. Um, but there's still so much more to learn. It's crazy how much there is to learn and in 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to look back and go, wow, I knew so little compared to what I know now. And because of, if, if you can understand that part, and, and uh, you take it for what it is, I think you're going to really work hard at always surrounding yourself with really good people and let those people work. And I've had this challenge myself because I'm so confident in what I do. But the one thing that I've been proud of is, is how much I've learned from so many other people and trying, I'm always trying to bring other people into the mold, into the, into the group. And I want to learn so much. And that to me has helped me become so much better at coaching, stealing ideas from people. And it doesn't happen when you're always at the, at the front. 
you you a lot of times have to get people to come in and show you different ways hire people in you have to um, go out and watch other people and just adopt things over and over and over again just and then and then the next thing is when you when you see people do different things try it go out and try it and don't be scared to try and there, there's a lot of coaches I was I was one of them who I was so worried about looking bad you know, I'd run a practice. I'd want the practice to look so good because I know there's a bunch of people always watching up on the rail. Or so you'd want practice to look good. So it looks like the kids know what they're doing. And in reality, practices shouldn't look good. Practices should be a mess. Practices should be, you know, just as kids making mistakes over and over and over again. And if you can, if you can do that, your, your kids are going to learn. Your, your kids are going to be able to fail and then grow from that. But any type of practice that's designed in patterns and, and kids know exactly what to do and the, 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 there's not a whole lot of resistance against them. Sure, they look good there, but they're not going to succeed in the game, right? So I think I, I kind of went all over with, with that answer a little bit, but I think with, with, with coaches is continually learn, continually make sure you understand that there's more for you to, to know no matter what, and always allow yourself to make mistakes. And, and when you're planning practices and letting kids make mistakes, I think those are some of the greatest things that I've learned the hard way over the years. And, and uh, it's allowed me to be stay passionate too, because now that I know that there's always more to learn, I'm always searching for that next thing and refining and getting better. You're a parent yourself. Uh, you're a sports parent, right? You have multiple kids engaged in multiple different kinds of sports you've worked with sports parents in a variety of capacities for, you know, two decades. What advice would you give them? If they're part of the audience, what, what, what do you want to share with them? Well, you know, I, I have been very lucky to, to be given the opportunity to coach multiple levels in both genders, everything from college to high school, boys and girls alike. Uh, I've coached every youth level in boys and girls hockey from might mini mites right to Bantam double a, um, crazy maybe but the answer, but I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. So I've experienced so many different levels and so many different, uh, just, I guess there's different expectations and different requirements that you have to be aware of at each level. Cause you have different kids that think, you know, passion is different. Parents are different. Why they play is different. It's all different. Um, so I've been lucky to, I guess, witness that I've been lucky to be around long enough to witness great parents parents that did some amazing things, parents that did some things that would probably not do it again. Um, but overall, for me, I think that one of the biggest things I, I think about is um, it's a marathon. You know, it, it's a marathon and it's it's a unique experience to be playing, to play sports. And I really, truly believe that as much as we get caught as parents and coaches in the moment of sport and we love our kids so much, we want them to succeed so well. And we want them to be recognized as being equal or better than other players. And it's just a natural instinct for parents to want the most for your kids. And I think the one thing for me is just love your kids for the time you have with them because it's such a short time. And then they're gone and they're gone and, and doing their own thing. Love every moment. I see so many parents waste day after day after day, trying to posture up, trying to pretend, trying to, uh, you know, tell people how good their kid is, you know, try to get their kid on the big team, the, the highest team. I see so much work being done, spending money, traveling all over the country. When is it really worth it? And do your kids really, truly want it? 
because I wonder sometimes if parents stop and truly let their kids have a say in what's going on. Because if you ask the kids, and I've tried to do this over and over again with my own kids, and only simply because I've seen other parents and gotten advice from so many other parents ahead of time. Like I ask parents all the time, what would you do different? What would you do different? And this is the type of stuff that they bring up over and over again. It's like, I wish I could go back and relax. I wish I could go back and take a deep breath and then just sit and enjoy it and not worry about what team they made or if they won or lost, or if you got enough ice time, or if he scored, or whatever it might be, just enjoy watching your kid be happy with their friends. Because in the end, most of us never get to play college or high school sports anyway, and almost none of us get to be professional at it. And if you do become a professional at it, it's not what you think it is. It's a tough gig trying to be a pro athlete. So do you really want that for your kids anyway? For me, if I was telling parents, like, just instill the love and passion in sports because that in itself is going to create a really happy human being. And as a parent, all I want is happiness and health. And if those two things happen for my kids, I'm a happy, happy guy, but I'm still, I'm still the guy. I have to self-evaluate that. I have to take a deep breath with my own kids because it's so natural for us to want the, our kids to be the best. And um, I guess the last thing I would just say is there's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to be the best but what's the reason for it? Is it because of notoriety? Is it because you want to have a Jersey with your kid's name on it? Is it because, you know, you want to be the, uh, the first year player on a second year team that's on the A? What's the reason? And if the reason is should be sport can make your kid a great kid and, and develop a great athlete into an, a great adult and teach them resilience and hard work and respect and how to work with people and how to communicate and how to deal with a coach that puts them in uncomfortable positions that's the answer to me that parents should really ask yourself like, if, if that's why you're in sport and that's why you push your kids. I think it's a great thing, but keep it in perspective because, you know, I've seen so many parents over the years just ruin their own relationship with their kids. Their kids don't even want their parents around. They, they're embarrassed by their kid, their parents. They they're frustrated with their parents. Kids don't like sport anymore because of their parents it's just, oh, and it's, and it's simply because their parents love their kids too much. It's not because the parents hate their kids. It's because they love them too much and they don't know how to handle that emotion. So for me, that's the greatest thing that I would think about is, or the most important thing that I would advise people on. And I'm right in the middle of it trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> yep. But it's not easy. <laughs> You're high school athletes, right? You got a 12, 14, 16-year-old kid, uh, you know, listening, right? Again, tapping into all this, you have all this credibility and wisdom that comes with the years of experience and the intentional practice as an athlete yourself, as a coach yourself, as a parent yourself, the HP lens. Um, man, if you could leave kids with some advice, what would you tell them? Play because you love it. Simply play because you love it. It's, it you, you, if you're playing for other people, if you're playing for your parents or you're playing because your friends play, you're playing for a, a resume or you're playing to make the next team, I truly believe you're playing for the wrong reason. I think if you play because you truly love the sport, all those things will take care of themselves. Your parents will be happy. Your coaches will be happy. You'll make the next team. Your friends will be those people that are like you. Um, I think that to me is one of the biggest things. You just play because you're passionate. And the second thing I would say is, if you're not playing because of that reason, you're playing for other reasons, be confident to speak up. 
make sure that you tell somebody that this isn't what I want to do. I know parents put a lot of pressure on kids and don't always listen to kids. Um, It takes a lot to stand up to your parents, but this is your life. This is your time to experience the things that you want to experience. So don't go out there and allow yourself to be used either by your parents, your friends, or somebody else. Do think if you don't want to play hockey, for example, you want to shoot on the trap team, then go and shoot trap. That's what you should be doing. Go where your heart is because education and your youth is about trying a million different things. Uh, The last thing that youth is designed for, the way human beings are designed, is to do one thing. We aren't made that way. Kids Kids are made to look for change all the time. They're always looking for new things. And that's what allows you to have success in the future. And that's what allows you to have passion in the future. Very few people are like me in the sense of I found my passion right away. I fell in love with hockey and that's all I wanted to do. Uh, I had a lot of other things I loved too, but that was my thing and that's okay. But rarely does that ever happen. So, you know, just continually open the door that you want to open. Don't stay in the room that somebody else put you in because that to me is a really sad thing for a kid out of their control sometimes. Yes. But as you listen to this as a high school kid, I hope you stand up for yourself. Even if you have to write a letter to your parents and tell your parents in that letter, what you truly believe, because sometimes they won't listen to you in a conversation. They'll guide you in the conversation and get the conversation to go where they want it to go. A letter allows you to get that point through to them uh, and maybe you have somebody trusty, trusting uh, you that you can go to first and then maybe they can help you with that conversation with your parents. But um, I, th- I think that's that's something I would tell kids more than anything, maybe. Love it. Anything on your mind that you would just like to put out there, right? Something that you want to share that you think people would benefit from, from hearing. I'll just kind of give you the last word. Hmm. I think the thing I, I think about all the time is just how I grew up. And I know times change and old people always want things to go back the way it was. But youth sports gets to be very frustrating. And I think it's a conversation for a lot of people that there, there's so many people involved in youth sports. And it's such an amazing opportunity. Like sports are amazing. They're absolutely one of the most important things for kids to go through. But adults get in the way and ruin it over and over again trying to control things, trying to organize things, trying to tell people what to do, getting over emotional. Um, I would just, I just, I wish youth sports would just back off. And I think it's hard because you have people who are, uh, you know, really making a ton of money in youth sports and it's capitalism. Is it a terrible thing? Probably not, but it does get involved and all am I any better I run hockey schools I make money at hockey schools too so am I a hypocrite maybe um but overall I just wish that youth sports would go back to the way they were somewhat and I know they never will but I, I wish we had a little bit more control over the one sport athlete all year round type stuff I wish we had kids playing more multiple sports I wish we had kids understanding that it just isn't incredibly important to one play one sport if you want to be successful in it. It, it. And all the research is out there. You know, if you truly believe that one sport is the way to get better, then go read the research. It doesn't support that at all. And if you want to be successful, more and more and more isn't better. This will require the most editing of any interview I've ever done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all good.